You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Galatians 5 verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Some of you, it'll say something like, uh, let us keep in step with the Holy Spirit. I'll explain that later. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Where would we be without your word? Where would we be without your salvation? Where would we be without Christ Jesus? Father, as we look to your word, we look to the eternal word. The Son of God, we call on you, O Lord, and we call on you, O Holy Spirit, to teach us this morning, to open our hearts to what is often very hard to understand. We pray, Lord, you will open our hearts to receive, to understand, and that, Father, you will do that work in your hearts, especially as we think about the fruit of the Spirit this morning, Father. We do desire to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And, oh, Father, we pray that our growth this morning would be by way of coming to understand how you make us like Jesus. Oh, Father, we pray that you will do this work in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. Well, as I've been indicating this morning, we're going to kind of fly around and, and take one more look at Galatians 5 before we move to Galatians 6. And as I said last week, you know, it the desire was to look at verse 22, namely to look at the fruit of the Spirit. And um, just by quick reminder, because we don't have time to do a whole lot of, of um, context here, but if you go back to verse 13, you know, there Paul said you were called to freedom. And what have we been saying about that freedom? It's not freedom to live any way we want. It's freedom to be made like Christ. And that truly is freedom, because we do not have within and of ourselves the power to do that. You know, if anyone doesn't believe me, just go try. You know, you're welcome to try this afternoon. Go be like Jesus. See how that works out for you. We do not have the strength and the tools, the resource in and of ourselves to do that. And it's really important that we understand for most of our study in Galatians, it's been a study of what? Justification, right? And that's going before the Lord and being able to stand before the Lord, correct? And um, justification is, is, it's really clear. The only way to be justified is through faith in Christ, right? 
It's really clear that we keep that in our minds. But the process of sanctification is the process of becoming like Christ. Now, the reason I'm parsing these the way I am is no one has saving faith. I mean, if you, if, if you have saving faith this morning, that is, if you have put your faith and your trust in Christ, you're justified. And you're also in the process of being sanctified. In one sense, you're sanctified as fully as you're ever going to be sanctified. Why? Because the very righteousness of Christ is wrapped around you. You're clothed in his righteousness. But in another sense, as we're all too well aware, the remnant of sin is still active in our hearts, isn't it? We still continue to, to commit sin, don't we? Sin's dominion in our lives is broken for sure, but we still fall in many ways, and we still fall short in many ways. And in fact, as we walk along with the Lord, we come to discover that there's ways that we sin against God that we never even knew about at the beginning. And I would submit even now, if you've been walking with the Lord for, for a dozen years or 20 years or 30 years or longer, there's still ways that we're sinning against him that we're not aware of. And that's loathsome to us, isn't it? That grieves us. That grieves our hearts. I mean, we would think, especially when we sometimes commit the same sins over and over again, we think, by now, my goodness, shouldn't we have been over this? Okay, we look back to our justification by our faith and our trust in Christ. You know, the gospel formula is faith alone, right? The moment we put our faith and our trust in Christ, we are justified. That means we can now stand in God's presence. And we can stand there confidently. As one of you this morning brought up Hebrews chapter 10, read that this afternoon sometime. We can stand in God's presence. That's justification. Now let's keep that, let's keep that over here for a moment. What we're talking about this morning is going to be sanctification. That is the process of becoming like Jesus. Paul says in verse 13 that is, we were called to freedom. Freedom, what kind of freedom? Freedom to become like Jesus. And the reason I'm parsing this is I don't want you to understand that, okay, we're going to be justified as soon as we become like Jesus. There's millions of people that understand. I mean millions of people that understand the gospel that way. That is not the true gospel. In fact, the gospel means good news. That's not good news. Especially when you, when you couple that with the fact that, well, maybe we'll never really be like Jesus. Maybe we'll never get in, but we're going to try. Think about that for a moment. That's not good news. That is not good news. The good news of the gospel is that you can be in as soon as you put your faith and trust in Christ. Jesus bids us to come to him. He bids us to come to him. For what purpose? To get the sin out of the way so that he can wrap his loving arms around us. That's what he desires to do. He desires to put his loving arms around each one of us. He desires to have that fellowship. Sin gets in the way of that fellowship. He desires to have that fellowship. And the moment he has come to provide a vehicle so that the moment we put our faith and trust in him, the work that he has done on the cross takes away our sins and we're in. And he knows everything about us the day that he calls us to come to him. Sometimes we think we call him, we call, catch him by surprise. No, we don't. We might have sinned this week, maybe in a way that we can't believe we've sinned. We might have fallen in, maybe in the last month. Maybe we, you know, there's, there's, 
Listen, he knew that about us. He knew that about each one of us when he called us to himself. Now, what is justification? Justification is being able to stand in his presence, right? Sanctification is becoming like him. Okay? Sanctification is a process that we do, and it's a process that we can only do after we're right with him. It's not a process that we do to get right with him. You follow me? And I'm going to say this many different ways over and over again because it's a slippery thing to get into our minds. Make sense so far? So Paul says you were called to freedom, brothers, and that'd be brothers and sisters. You were called to freedom. Freedom to what? Freedom to become like Jesus. Now, how do we become like Jesus? That's what I want to take up this morning. And if you look down to verse 22, we're told that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, in this verse right here, we get a lot of insight as to how we become like Jesus. And before we get into this verse, I got several things that I want to show you by way of overview, if you will. In fact, I got five points that I want to bring to you by way of of overview. And the first thing that I want to point out to you is that the word fruit in verse 22 is singular. Why do I point that out? Because it's easy to put an S on the end of that. We can actually, in reading this, put an S on the end of fruit without even realizing it. Why? Because it's very clear that Paul is putting the fruit of the Spirit in contrast to the works of the flesh in verse 19. So you have works of the flesh and then this awful list, don't you? And it's easy for our minds in verse 22 to see fruit of the Spirit. And instead of seeing fruit of the Spirit, we would see fruits of the Spirit. If you do that, don't feel bad. There is a, con- there is a man who has written a commentator. If I mentioned his name, many of us would know who he is. He's well-known. He's an outstanding theologian. But he has a subheading in his commentary that says fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I would think that if one of his students was turning in a paper, he would put a he would probably put a line through that and say, this is singular. But in his commentary, now maybe it's an editorial, I don't know. Um, but given the, it's amazing that it's there, given the publisher that it's published on. And I, I'm not throwing rocks at him. I do, we all do this. We all do this. But fruit is singular. Fruit is singular. We should think of the fruit as a jewel. This might be one way we could think of it. Imagine this precious jewel. It has this wonderful color to it, this wonderful color. And there's a predominant color. And out of that color are all these other pleasing colors, if you will, that actually really look good together. Imagine this as one dazzling jewel. The fruit of the Spirit is like a jewel, beautiful breathtakingly beautiful, the most beautiful jewel you've ever seen. Now, with that in mind, the second point that I want to make is that the fruit of the Spirit is different than the spiritual gifts. I don't know if you've ever even thought about that. The reason I'm bringing it up is we could think of the fruit of the Spirit like it's the, like it's the spiritual gifts. You know, when I was at Geneva College, we took a spiritual gift test. How many have taken those tests before? I know some of you have. They're actually kind of fun to take. Um, Maybe I should speak for myself, but I I remember it was a lot of fun doing it. 
And it was fun doing it with your classmates, you know. We'd all take those tests, and then you, you get the test evaluated, and you say, okay, what do, we, what do, what do you have this giftedness in? Um, and, you know, some would come out, gift of evangelism, gift of administration, gift of, you know, whatever, gift of hospitality, uh, gift of teaching, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the, but the point here that I'm trying to make is nobody receives all the gifts. Nobody gets them all. Jesus is the only one who has them all. He's, he's perfectly gifted in every area. But we don't get all the gifts. And that, and that teaches us that we need each other, don't we? I do not shine very brightly in the administration department. And those of you who work with me know that's fact, don't you? Um, but what's wonderful is in this church, we have a number of people that do shine in the administration department. I don't have to shine in the administration department. That's a really, that's a relief. That's a relief to me because that's not where my skill sets lie. You know, I mean, I, I managed to start businesses and run businesses and do all that. So I can manage, I can do some of it. But I got to say that that's not, that, that might be a natural ability, but that's not where the, that, that is not where my spiritual gifts lie. You follow me? And the reason I point this out is because somebody could say, well, okay, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, patience. Okay, well, you know, I got the love part, but I just didn't get the gift of patience. Let me remind you that's not possible. And the more we understand about love, the more we're going to understand that love is, love is that predominant color of this jewel. And all of these other colors, they look really good with love, but they ebb and flow out of love. We're going to see this hopefully very clearly this morning as we go through all of these things. That's actually impossible. And the reason I want to point this out to you is we need to, we need to make sure that we see this as singular. It's a singular jewel that has all of these things, all of these things emanate from that jewel. We see all of these things in this jewel. There's nobody who gets the gift of love, if you will, that doesn't get the gift of patience. You're getting it all. It's an entire package. Everyone who is in Christ, this fruit, it may just be this big right now, but it will grow as we walk with the Lord, as we follow the Lord, and you're not going to get skipped over. It's not like you're going to get the gift of love and you're not going to get the gift of joy or you're not going to get the gift of peace or you're not going to get... No, these aren't spiritual gifts. This is fruit singular. That's why I was so surprised to see this eminent writer with, the, with the, that subheading over one of the paragraphs that said fruits. I think what he meant was virtues. That would be good enough. But we need to understand it's one singular fruit. And it's unlike the spiritual gifts in the respect that, you know, no one gets all the spiritual gifts, but everyone who's in Christ gets all of these virtues. Is that clear? That's wonderful, isn't it? Uh, third thing is that the fruit of the Spirit mirrors the very attributes of God. You know, that's why I, I chose uh, Psalm 103. If you turn back to Psalm 103 there for a quick moment, and especially verse 8, it's actually verse 8 that brought me to choose Psalm 103 is our call to worship this morning. Because in verse 8, there's a quote from Exodus 34, verse 6, where the Lord is showing Moses his glory, right? He puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passes very lovingly past Moses, covering his face. Because if Moses would see too much of God's glory, it would destroy him, wouldn't it? So he covers his face so he sees just enough is safe for him to receive. And what does he say? One of the things he says is, the Lord, the Lord, he is merciful. You see that in verse 8, Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
you know, we can, we can untangle out of that language all of these basic virtues that Paul refers to as fruit of the Spirit. And we should. These virtues are the very attributes of God. I mean, that's staggering. And that's what's being produced in the heart of every believer. No one gets passed up. It's being, if you were in Christ this morning, you may have just come to Christ last week. Nevertheless, it's, it's being produced in you. This is, the, this, this is the train you're on. And where are you going? You're going to one of these days, we're going to be in perfection in these things. We're never going to be God. We're never going to be divine. But we are going to be perfect mirrors of these attributes. That's staggering, isn't it? And related to it, another point that I want to make, and, and, and related to this, and I'm using the language of another writer, you know, the fruit is a, quote, character sketch of Christ. That's what this other writer says, that the fruit of the Spirit is a character sketch of Christ. You know, Jesus is perfectly loving. Jesus has joy in the Father. You go right down through there. He's the Prince of Peace, isn't he? You see his kindness, his goodness, his gentleness, you know, his faithfulness. He is perfection and faithfulness, isn't he? He goes to the cross, doesn't he? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he cries out, Lord, please, if there's another way, give me another way. But we see his perfection and faithfulness, not as I will, Lord, but as you will. That character sets of Christ. And, you know, that leads to the last thing by way of overview I want to say is that this fruit is being produced by the Holy Spirit, in the heart of every believer. It's not something that we can do by ourselves. It's not something that we can do simply by imitating someone. So it's not something that a young man may do, for example, by looking at a, a man who's been walking with uh, a Christ for many years whom he admires and says, okay, I'm going to imitate him. And as I imitate him, this, this, uh, I will be enabling this, this growth to grow. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one who does this. And this is a little bit slippery, and it takes, your, it takes a little while for our minds to get around this. Yes, the Holy Spirit is the one who produces this, but we actually cooperate in the production of this. Some would say, what? The Holy Spirit produces the growth, but we cooperate in this. We're going to see this in a few minutes, especially when we get to the last attribute that we have here. Um, and that's why it's so important that we make a distinction between sanctification and justification. You with me, okay? I know this is, it takes a while to get this around your head, especially considering how we're wired up. You know, we're wired up with what we call Santa Claus theology, right? You better watch out. You better not pout. You better not shout. I'm telling you why. God won't give you salvation. That's how we're wired up. That's not good news. We're passive in justification. God seeks us all out while we're enemies of his. He seeks us out while we're shaking our fists at him. It might just be an indifference, but indifference is so evil. Think about how evil indifference towards God is. To live as if, to, to receive all of the blessings that we receive from his hand, yet to live like he doesn't exist. That is shaking a fist at God, isn't it? And it's to these kinds of people, people like us, whom he comes. 
And he has to open up our eyes. He has to open up our ears. He has to do this work, and we're passive in it. He does it in such a gentle, usually speaking, he does it in such a gentle and oftentimes such a gradual way. We don't even know what he's doing, and we think we're the ones that are behind the whole thing, don't we? I'm in Christ because I chose to be in Christ. That's true. But why did you choose to be in Christ? It's because he pursued you. You were passive in it. But now... Now having found you, now having brought you to himself, now having brought you in and given you a new heart, now we cooperate with him in becoming like Jesus. But the growth is all of his. And we'll get to that here in a few minutes. Let's move on. So having looked at an overview of the fruit, when we go back to Galatians 5, verse 22, we're told that the fruit of the Spirit is, and notice the first one, the first one that is mentioned, the first, the first now, attribute, if you will, or the first virtue, if you will, is love. And as I've suggested, if we think of this as a jewel that has a predominant color, that predominant color is love. And we're going to see that all these other things kind of flow forth from that predominant color. And I think it behooves us to do another overview, if you will. Having done an overview of the fruit, let's just kind of quickly do an overview of love. And we need to spend some time in love because it's the chief and principal attribute here. Um, you know, in the Greek language, I'm told there are eight words for love. You'll be happy to know we're not going to go through all eight of them. But, we're gonna, but let's think about four of them. You know, like uh, philia. You know, Donald and I spent some time this week in a place called philia delphos. Philadelphia, which ironically enough, it's Philadelphos. You like that? You go go to school to, tomorrow and say, "Have you ever heard of Philadelphos?" You know, your friends are all going to be like, "What happened to you over the weekend?" Philadelphos. Two words. Adelphos is the Greek word for siblings, brothers, sisters, and philia, the word for love. It's a general word for love. Uh, and it means city of brotherly love. And ironically, it's, um, we saw in the news, it's the, it's the unloving city in the United States. And I know this is on the internet, and I want to say all my friends in Philadelphia, we were treated so well in Philadelphia. We, we, I mean, we were in a Korean church. Um, many of them, most, I think most of them, they couldn't speak very much English at all. We wanted to just say thank you, thank you. These lovely ladies, I mean, we did without nothing. I think I gained two pounds while I was there. I, um, I'm quite confident I did. Um, the food that was prepared for us and everything was absolutely, uh, I mean, one of these days we'll host one of these meetings and it's a lot of work and they made it look easy um, because they it, obviously there was months of preparation that went into that work. But behind all that preparation is this love that we're talking about. Philia. It's a general word for love. There's lots of overlap in here. Um, the next one is storge. And I, I want to say that, you know, especially being a minister in the West, uh, a conservative minister in the West, I, you know, we have a tendency to like everything to be nice and neat in these little, like, outlines, you know? Uh, the, but, you know, as I've been walking with the Lord and studying his word for all these years, that's just not how the Bible often comes to us. There's often a lot of overlap that just refuses to fit into one of those nice little neat black and white outlines. You know, storge, I like the word usually. Douglas Moose says storge is usually love among family members. Usually. 
What's that mean? I mean, storge has a lot of overlap with the other words, you know? There's overlap here. That would go with Philadelphia. You think brotherly love. Doesn't that sound like love for a, for a sibling? Yes. Uh, so philia is your word. How come they didn't use storge, you know? Storge, Delphia. Storgadelphia. That was sounds Storgadelphia. Oh, never mind that. But it could be used because that's a, that's a word that's usually, usually, that's the term we want to put in front of it, usually used for the love we have for family members. Um, so, and we do this in English all the time. We could say, well, I love my, you know, I love my cousin. You know, I love my cousin Susie. And the next sentence we could say, I love pizza. Well, hopefully there's a distinction between those two loves, Right. And we, we recognize that we're just, there's overlap. We're using these words differently. The next word is eros. And in the mixed company they're in right now, I'm not going to develop that a lot, but you'll understand that there's an English word that's developed from that. And let me just say in this mixed company, that's a, a love that is typically, it designates romantic love, if you will. And the fourth one that I want to bring up is, is agape. I was taught to pronounce it agape. Some of you will recognize it as agape. Um, Dr. Watt, my English professor, who I speak of very um, often because uh, he's so dear to me, and we want to get him down here to preach one of these days. He said he would do it, and it's been a couple of years since I talked to him, but I'd love to get him down here. But he said to us when, when we were uh, in Greek class, he says, we're going to pronounce this word agape. And we're like, okay, we'll pronounce it agape. I kind of think it sounds better anyway, so um, you don't want to be dogmatic, but I will, I'll pronounce it agape. Many of us know it is agape. What is agape love? It's that love, and there's overlap in this, um, but it's that love that God the Father would have for his children. It's the love that his children would have for God the Father. And we could apply that to all three persons of the Trinity. We would definitely want to apply that to Jesus. It's the love that we would have for Jesus. It's the love that Jesus would have for us. There's overlap in it. In the Bible, in the Song of Solomon, in the Greek translation of the Song of Solomon, agape appears in there, where very clearly um, that is um, in those texts. That's a husband and wife love that's going on there. Uh, so this, this word has some overlap, if you will. But I think for our purposes this morning, let's think of it as a, a love that describes an intimate relationship. And that's the love that's in view here, uh, if you will, in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is agape. It is this love. And being the chief and principal um, attribute here, I thought we would turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And I invite you to turn back there, if you will, page 959. If you just turn left uh, past 2 Corinthians, then to 1 Corinthians, you'll get to 1 Corinthians 13. And... and um, some of, uh, some of us will say, well, that's that first, those are those verses we hear at weddings all the time. Yes. Um, in fact, so much so that we might think that really the, the passage was intended for marriage and for weddings, and actually it's not. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 has a context. It's, first, it's 12, chapter 12, it's chapter 14. In chapter 12, we have the subject of spiritual gifts. Chapter 14, we have the subject of prophecy and tongues. And Paul's correcting problems in 1 Corinthians. He's correcting problems in the church. And this chapter is used to try to cement his correction in those problems. And that's why he starts out. And that having been said, marriage is a great application of this. But it's not the, it, it's, it's not the primary intention of this passage. 
You know, you, you find this often at, um, at Cody and uh, Payton's wedding. In fact, I don't know if uh, some of you were at that wedding. Um, in the walkway, as you were walking uh, to the play, to the, the seating area where they were, where they were um, joined in marriage, there were plaques along the way. I don't know if you noticed them, but these little plaques had um, quotations from 1 Corinthians 13. Very popular passage. But notice how Paul starts in verse 1 with this passage. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. One scholar very helpfully puts this into a mathematical equation that really drills this home. He says, what we have here is impressive speech. Impressive speech. Think of Isaiah 6 where the angels are gathered around the throne of God and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And at the sound of their voices, the entire temple shakes. I mean, for a moment, let's try to imagine ourselves before they're hearing these angels decry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that whole temple shaking, that'd be some impressive speech, wouldn't it? And this scholar says, impressive speech, putting it in a mathematical equation, impressive speech minus love equals nothing. That really puts it out there, doesn't it? If we look at the second verse, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, there, if you have all knowledge minus love, it equals nothing. You see the faith there. If I have all faith, so the most impressive faith, so as to remove mountains, if you will, but have not love. Impressive faith minus love equals nothing. If you look at the third thing, if I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Think of the most impressive self-sacrifice that's possible. Minus love equals nothing. You see how powerfully the Holy Spirit is presenting the preeminence of love, that love is so important. Without it, everything is nothing. And then he goes on to give us, really, of all of the scriptures, he, he really spells out. And this is why this is so popular at weddings, because it shows what love is. Love is patient, is the first thing we're told. Love is patient, if you will. And what's that mean? It means it's long-suffering. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't seek revenge for wrongs that are received. But instead, to the contrary, it seeks the glory of God, and it seeks the, the salvation of the offender. Did you get that? This love is willing to suffer. And as it suffers, it doesn't retaliate, if you will. You know, it's patient. It doesn't seek revenge. But instead seeks the glory of God in the midst of this and seeks the salvation of the offender. You know, think, just think that through for a moment. Jesus demonstrates this on the cross, doesn't he? You know, he demonstrates this on the cross as he's being crucified. As he's being crucified, what is, what is he doing? He's praying to the Father, saying, Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we see, that's why I say it's, the fruit of the Spirit is a wonderful character sketch of Christ. But it's also certainly a, a powerful attribute of God, isn't it? We're told that God is love by the, the Apostle John in his first letter, right? 
So it doesn't retaliate, it doesn't seek revenge, but instead seeks the glory of God and the salvation of the offender. It's patient. You know, much could be said. Listen, each one of these is a sermon for an entire morning. Uh, We're kind of going to go through these quickly. Kindness, I mean, see how kindness can flow out of love? Think of that, amazing kindness, you know. Uh, It's the opposite of harshness or bitterness. It's the very opposite of these things. You know, it does not envy. Notice that Paul, as he goes on from uh, there in verse 4, this is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, he begins to tell us what love is by telling us what it is not. That's often a very effective way to explain what something is by telling us what it isn't. He says, it does not envy. And some of you will recall that envy is one of the works of the flesh, isn't it? You know, maybe you work at a place where there's a lot of envy. You know, one of my previous jobs, I worked at a place where there was a lot of envy in the workplace. And what did that look like? There were a lot of people that just couldn't stand it if somebody got blessed. You know, if somebody was getting a blessing or somebody was getting ahead a little bit, it 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 just really irked them. They loved it when they were getting ahead, but they, they were just so irked when someone else did. See, that's the opposite of love. That is, a, that is a work of the flesh. That is ugly. What does love? Love desires. It very much desires for the other person to flourish. You know, we want the other person to flourish. It does not jealously desire what it doesn't possess. That's what the Holman Bible Dictionary says. Does not jealously desire what it does not possess. We're told that it does not boast. You know, it doesn't have an exaggerated self-conception. And, you know, we live in a a society where this is really a big one. I mean, arrogance. You know, um, I've heard this over and over again, and I was hearing this by somebody. I think Donald and I were watching uh, while we were away in Philadelphia. We were watching, um, just trying to relax from that meeting a little bit. We watched a YouTube video of these two characters. They're very, very funny. It's a story for another day, but... Um, but in the course of it, they were talking about sports and they were talking about, you know, a team can be down. It can be what they say, 23 to 3 or something. And the down team can, like, get a, re- a, a reception or something minor. They're still not, it's obvious they're not going to win the game. But they get this reception and they go on like it's the, like, like they've just won World War II or something, you know? That's, that's, you guys are getting your butts kicked on the field here. You're getting, you're getting annihilated and you're dancing around like you've just done something great. That's the culture we live in, where we just take these little things and we just think, oh my goodness, they're just, you know, love is not that way. It, love does not boast. It's not arrogance. It's not rude. Verse 5, it shows brotherly affection. You know, if we, we look at Romans 12, you just turn left for a moment. And you look at Romans 12 and you look at, uh, say, verse 16. This is important. Romans, just the next book, turn left. And you don't have to turn there. You can just listen to the verse. There Paul says, live in harmony with one another. He says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. You know, one aspect of this is associating with the lowly. You know, back to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, it's not rude. It shows brotherly affection, outdoing one another in honor. It doesn't insist on its own way, 1 Corinthians 13, 5. I mean, some of us maybe have friends that always insist on their own way, or we have family members that always insist on their own way. That's a drag, isn't it? You know, and if we're, if we're 
of that description where we like to have our own way. We think about that, you know. It's, it's, you know, it's a drag for everyone else, you know. Uh, if you're inviting, so, oh, we invite such and such, we're going to have, so one way we're going to do things is going to be that, their way, you know. It, that's a drag. It's not love. It's love, all right, but it's love for self. It's not love for other people, right? It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. Small offenses do not set it off. We could think of road rage here. You know, someone doesn't use their turn signal because their mind's caught up in watching their GPS and trying to find something, and they just turn, and the guy behind them just goes off, you know, or the gal behind them just goes off. You know, you see these videos where people get out of their cars and they chase the guy. I mean, this is crazy. Where people, where the smallest thing is setting people off. And you know, the person that's getting out of their car and chasing the guy in front of them, how many times did they forget to use their turn signal? You know, so oftentimes, and sometimes you can be set off by a perceived offense. What do I mean by that? Well, there really wasn't an offense at all. You just perceived it to be as such, and off you go. That's certainly a work of the flesh. It's, 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 it's not irritable, verse 5, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. It's not resentful. It doesn't attempt to even the score. It's not bitter. It's not indignant. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. You know, it hates evil. It rejoices with the truth. You know, Romans 12, 9 says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Verse 7, it bears all things. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 12, we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. Let's think about that for a moment. We endure, we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. We want to be sure that we are not the obstacle. And, I, I, you know, when I say this, I'm thinking to myself, there's been times where I'm afraid I was the obstacle in the way of the gospel. As much as I really, I, I live to see people come to faith in Christ. But unfortunately, my behavior and my shortcomings and my failures have sometimes been the obstacle. I'm afraid it has been the obstacle in somebody coming to Christ. That is terrible, isn't it? That's the opposite of love. Um, verse 7, it believes all things. It has a tendency to believe the best about people. You know? Verse 7, it hopes all things. In other words, it wants others to flourish. It endures all things. It never gives up. And if you look at verse 8, notice the very first part, at least in the ESV, it says, love never ends. This is wonderful. It means love is everlasting. That means when we go through the doorway of death and we are glorified in Christ, now unable to sin any longer, this love of which the Holy Spirit has poured into our hearts, if you're a believer, this love right here, it is an enduring love. It's a love that goes on for all eternity. It's a love that never ends. You see, the Lord has started something in our hearts. The moment we put our faith and trust, He has started in something in our hearts that is never going to end. The fruit of the Spirit, whose chief and principal color is love, all of these other graces flow out of that, if you will. All these other virtues flow out of that. This love actually never ends. Staggering. It's actually staggering. Let's go back to Galatians 5.22. And I'm not, we're not going to spend as much time as we did on love on each one of these. We'll move through these quickly. We could, though. Um, but here we see the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, verse 22, is love. The next one is joy. 
You know, and, and, and joy sometimes is confused with happiness. We think of joy, all oh, that means happy. Happiness is a part of the joy, but it's not the same thing, is it? Happiness is predicated on circumstances. In other words, um, I'm happy if everything is going my way. Now, how often is that the case? How many can say right now that everything in your life is going your way? Well, happiness falls on hard times when things aren't going your way. But what about joy? Joy rises above our circumstances. You know, I was sharing a story recently with a friend about John Wesley's trip across the ocean. You know, he had been a missionary. I believe he's coming from Georgia. You know, and John Wesley was very committed to living a holy life. He's very committed to sharing the gospel, at least what he understood as the gospel at that time. He's over in Georgia. He's, uh, he's conducting his work as a missionary. And then he's on a boat and he's traveling back. And I wouldn't want to have traveled those seas back in those days of those boats. If they get caught in a, yeah, I know some of your eyes are like this big, yes. They get caught in a violent storm and everybody thinks they're going to die in the storm. You know, the, you can only imagine being in one of those, those ships. And while everyone's thinking they're going to die, there's a group of Moravians that are singing hymns. And that really left an impact on Josh Wesley. He's like, wait a second, how can, these, how can these men and women sing hymns as we're about to drown? It's because they're full of joy. Joy of what? Joy of salvation, joy of God. Joy that God loves us. Joy that God sent his son to die in our place. Joy of eternal life, joy of heaven. Joy of knowing this is not our home. Joy that we're not going to endure this forever. And perhaps tonight's the night we're finally going to get to go see Jesus. Let's sing. So this joy is not predicated, if you will, on our circumstances. It's above our circumstances. It rises above our circumstances. We can be joyous and suffering at the same time. To the world, that sounds crazy. What do you mean? That's, that's contradictory. That's one of those places where the Bible contradicts itself. No, it isn't. It's supernatural. It's the work of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to show us this isn't where we belong. The greatest things are next, and the more you believe that, the more you're okay if today is your last day. I am quite content if today is the last day for myself. Why? Because I don't belong here. If you're in Christ, you don't either. This is not where we belong. And that joy, that joy. For me, I don't want to sin against God no more. We won't have to repent no more. We won't have to say, Lord, I've offended you today. You'll never do that again. We could spend all morning on, on these things. Um, we literally could spend all morning on these things. Um, we have joy. We have peace. Peace with God. And I potentially put some of these things in my notes so we wouldn't spend all day on this. Peace with God, you know. Peace instead of, if you think of the, um, if you think of the, the works of the flesh, namely enmity, Strife, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, and division. Think of how opposed those are to peace. You know, enmity, we, we, we defined enmity in an earlier study as human-on-human hey, human hatred. It couldn't be more opposite of peace, could it? Peace instead of enmity. This is what we're praying for for Israel and, and Palestine right now, right? We are praying for both, right? Both sides. We want peace. 
There are, there are mothers crying on both sides of this thing. We're praying for peace, right? We're praying for peace. Peace instead of enmity, strife, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions. And then we have patience, goodness, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. You can see how all of those will flow out of love, can't you? You're patient with the one you love, although sometimes we're short with those we love. That's a failing. That's not love. But we have a tendency to be patient. You're patient with your children, aren't you? Say, well, I'd like to grow in that for sure. I'm not asking if we're perfectly patient with our children. But we have a tendency to be more patient with those we love. We're much more patient with those we love than we are with that guy that didn't use his turn signals, right? Do you get my drift there? We need to be patient with him, too, because we don't always use our turn signals, do we? Um, but you can see how patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, you can see how they're colors that, that really look good together with love, and they emanate in this glorious jewel that we get as the fruit of the Spirit. Here we see these, these other colors that just really, they dazzle with the jewel. When you look at the jewel, you see, look at those colors. I mean, I see one predominant color, it's love, but look at all these other colors that are flowing out of it. Yeah, I think one of them's called patience. The other one's called kindness. The other one's called goodness. It's called gentleness. It's called, it's called faithfulness. And then we get to the last one, self-control. And self-control contrasts with the work of the, of the flesh. If you look at, at verse uh, 20, uh, be verse 21, this is Galatians 5, verse 21, you remember we saw drunkenness and we saw orgies. We saw that was a lack of self-control. It's a lack of restraint. Okay, obviously you've had too much to drink. Uh, eating is related to that. We've ate too much. We've drank too much. Uh, anything that we're doing in excess would fall in these categories. Self-control is actually the opposite of that. But as one author says, you know, self-control also reminds us that we're not passive in this grove. And I promised a few minutes ago that I would explain that. We're not passive in this growth. It's the Holy Spirit that produces the work in our hearts. However, he reproduces this work in our hearts as we walk with him or as we keep in step with him. I promise you verse 25. Verse 25, in older editions of the ESV translation read, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, in, in revised versions of this text, the translators, they, I, and they rightly did so, they translated this as we walk in, or as we keep in step, right? Some of you have as he keeps in step, right? I know some of you have some newer copies of it. It's not that the meaning changes any, but it's a little more specific. And this idea of keeping in step is taken from mil it's military jargon where you're, you're in a formation and you're in step with everybody. You see those parades where you have soldiers that are marching and you see their legs perfectly in step. That's the idea here. And the idea here is being perfectly in step with the Holy Spirit, but it also carries with it that we're not, in our individualistic culture, we need this one. We really need this one. We're not by ourselves in the parade. Let's remind, let's remind ourselves of that. And it's kind of a stinging observation because we like to think of ourselves, just me, it's just me and Jesus, you know, marching in this parade. No, it's not just you and Jesus. No, it's not just me and Jesus. We're in step with our brothers and sisters as we march through this life. And the idea is to be in step with the Holy Spirit, right? 
And as we're in step with the Holy Spirit, he produces in our hearts growth in this grace, if you will. Growth in this jewel, this wonderful jewel that we get, whose predominant color is what? It's love, isn't it? And out of it flow all of these wonderful things. You know, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It all flows out from this jewel. How do we keep in step with the Holy Spirit? We're doing it right now by coming to a service like this and studying the Word of God. We're going to do it in the hallway as we fellowship with one another. We do it as we open up our Bibles and we read every day. We do this as we pray. We do it, in other words, as we, as we look at the, 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 we're going to be celebrating baptism here in a couple of weeks. As we, you know, as we, as we do this, you know, we're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, aren't we? If we shy away from all these things and we fall away from all these things, what happens? We get out of step with the Holy Spirit. We get out of the step. Again, we're talking about sanctification. You're not going to lose your salvation if you don't come to church for a month. I'm not trying to encourage you not to come back for a month. But you're not going to lose your salvation if you don't pray for 20 minutes every day or two hours every day. But we're keeping in step with the Spirit if we devote ourselves to prayer, aren't we? We're keeping in step with the Spirit, if we will, if you will, as we make use of these means that God has given us for growth. And what that means is these are, these are the devices, these are the instruments that God uses to make us more and more like Jesus. Now, I want to conclude with just one last thought. You know, if you're in, if you're in Christ, you're on a train, you're on a train, you know. People get ready. That old R&B song is just a favorite of mine, as you well know. I mean, I always liked playing that song. I like singing that song. You know, people get ready. There's a train to Jordan, you know. I mean, we could, we could nitpick it theologically. You could nitpick it, but it's still basically a pretty good song. We're on a train. Faith is the key, you know. And, and where's this train taking us? You know, we could say it's taking us to Jordan. That's, that's metaphorical for it's taking us into the new heavens and the new earth and the presence of Christ. But one thing I want us to see as we conclude from this, if you're in Christ, you're on a train, and where are you being taken? You're going to perfectly mirror these wonderful fruit, this wonderful fruit here that's being described by Galatians 5.22. In other words, you're going to be made like Jesus. Is that cool or what? Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we've looked at our, a lot of stuff this morning. Help us, O oh Father, with our minds. Help us, O oh Lord, to take in all this stuff, to keep all this stuff together, to, to perceive all of these things, Lord. Help us, Father, I pray to make that important distinction between sanctification and justification, that we would know that we're not going to be justified as soon as we become like Christ, but we are becoming like Christ because we've already been justified. Help us, O oh Father, to see that because, Lord, we know that if we make a misstep here, we turn the good news into really bad news. Help us, O oh Father, to see these things. Help us, O oh Father, to especially spend time on love as we've done this morning, Lord. Help us to see that as the predominant color of this great jewel known as the fruit of the Spirit. Help us to see that. And help us, O oh Father, to see the many colors that just so look so good together and they match so well 
with this predominant color, but we can see that there's distinctives. We can see the, the, the virtue of joy. We can see the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We can see all of these wonderful things. And, oh, Lord, we pray that you will produce these things in our hearts, oh, Lord. Produce these things and cause us to grow, oh, Father, in all of these attributes that we would be reflecting your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.